just a bunch of idiots. You know, this is the way this point system works. We've got desperate guys doing desperate things. This can happen at Homestead, and that's the one thing I don't like about the point system is that you can have somebody acting like this and take it completely out of the championship. And we put too much hard work and effort into this to have something stupid like this happen. Rocket. Uh, I don't know who's else, who else is rocking. Our listeners are always rocking. You're rocking when you're listening to Flashback to the Track with all the hottest hits from the track, 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 track. track. I felt like a radio DJ right there, Mark. I don't know. I felt like you get one of those DJ. buzzers. Goes, bang, bang, bang. Make a see a soundboard with a bunch of different sounds, like a morning DJ host. Traffic updates. And you know, just like ra- read random headlines and places, and then that—that's that's my day. Radio DJ. Everything's really bad. That's the headlines. Things aren't good. Um, but yeah, you know what is good though, James? Talk about old races. Yeah, Mark. Yeah, and everyone, welcome to Flashback to the Track. That's Mark. I'm James. Talking about old race here, like like Mark said. You know, Mark. You know, if there's any period we'd like to look back. And just really analyze. It's the mid two thousands. The mid two thousands, man. It's when I became a NASCAR fan, and it's what I'll always hold near and dear to my heart. So much happened in the sport in that uh, time period too. A lot of change from the Winston era. I mean, that was really big change. Geez, like a sponsorship that dated back to, you know, the the early seventies, and. You know, we're looking at it like it's nothing and everything turns to Nextel yellow. And now everyone's fumbling to say Nextel cup. Like, geez. It's not even a it's cup. A, it's, a, it's actually funny that that was made by Tiffany and Company, that trophy. Oh. I don't know who made the Winston Cup, but they should have named it the Winston Cups because there was like three cups on, on that trophy. You cannot so. drink alcohol or eat cereal out of the Nextel cup because it is not a cup. So it's, it's beautiful though. I, I think that trophy is one of the best looking trophies in motorsports. Like if, if you had that in your trophy case, specifically just Jimmy Johnson or even, I, you know, Tony Stewart, he's got, he's got his, he can flex and Harvick, but like, you know, just walk up on those. like, whoo, that's a nice trophy, especially when it's nice and shiny, but Winston Cup was cool, man. It had wood. It was like yeah, uh, it was an old timey looking trophy. You know what I mean? It, it was like you a know classic what? trophy. Not not to be a dick about it, but it, it's like the wood paneling. You know? Yeah, but I like I like it. But that I generation really loved wood paneling. You know? So you know, trophies made out of wood meant something in in, in an era, like trophies that weren't cups <laughs> in another era. Now all the trophies are shaped like tracks, and I'm just not a fan of that. Like F1 has terrible trophies; they're all shaped like tracks. It's like that's just lame. They all look the same. Um, like I get it. Like you know, you know who's never lost touch with what a trophy should be? The NHRA. Everyone just gets a Wally. It's been the same trophy for mm-hmm. I don't know how long. Just to get your Wally. That's it. But they need like, to bring now- back giant checks. They just <laughs> give them giant checks like they do in golf. Yeah. You know, it's jackets. Funny. What if we gave out jackets like they do at the Masters? Come on, that'd be awesome. I feel like sometimes they give out jackets. The giant checks, you know, 
I feel like the money conversation is such a hard one to have nowadays. Mm. It's like, how do we really with the giant check ones? Did you, did you enjoy that? So that it was just for the photo op. I had, they wouldn't let us keep it. Oh man. Yeah. Because we won, we won $3,000 in this contest and they get, they we took a photo with a giant check. I'm like, I want this. I'm like, no, you can't have it. We you get $3,000. We, we need it for next year. Here's your check. And they gave me a small check. I'm like, Damn it. You're so close. So it's okay. We get to talk to somebody with this old race who has a gigantic fake plastic check in their possession. So that's kind of cool. We get a little insight into the action. Uh, speaking of action, Mark, we have to talk I think about what we, race we're actually talking about. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great segue right there. Yeah. We're talking about action at the action track, Richmond International Raceway, the 2004 Chevy rock and roll 400 yes that's right no more looney tunes it's year two of rocking and rolling i think this is like a warner warner brother music and aol music brought were like the the people behind this one Mm -hmm. um because you know the warner brother group was the originators with the uh looney tunes gig because that's the uh owners of that commercial property Mm. yeah yeah. I liked the Looney Tunes. I thought it was cool. It was kind of strange to see. It was an interesting times, was era. Like, it's like, okay. Because when I got into NASCAR, like I started, I was around this time and I was playing like the older video games from like 2002 and stuff. And I'm like, yeah. why does everyone have a Looney Tunes car? Like in the paint schemes? Because I didn't know, right? I was like 12 yeah. years old and I like didn't know. But then I, you know, you figured it out as you look back on the history. But yeah, the rock and roll cars were cool, man. They lasted for a few years. What, through 06, I think they did them? Oh. Maybe 07? 06, 07. I think the name stayed until 07, if I'm not mistaken. It may have lasted until 2009. Jamie, you looked it up for us. Thanks. Jamie? No. But um, you know, something about those paint schemes was the um, eclectic mix of artists. Uh, you, you talk about like the Warner Brother, like Looney Tunes, like all the Chevy cars basically had like Looney Tunes characters and you had different varieties of characters. Well, when you had the, you know, rock and roll cars, all the Chevy teams that were participating would have these artists and it would be anything from trap to uncle cracker to <laughs> Hootie and the blowfish. Yes. Uh, Green day was on a car. Nickelback was on a car. Oh, wait, uh, are. Geez, who else? Was Red on hot chili peppers. Red hot chili peppers yeah. was on a car. Kiss a bunch of times. Kiss was on three cars one year. And I, remember, I think the Red Hot Chili Peppers car was Ron Hornaday too. It was Ron. No, Hornaday. I think it was. Or no, Boyer. it was Clint Boyer. Yeah, it was Boyer. Clint yeah. Boyer, 06, I think. And I remember the 47 truck this year in 04 for all of their different races. They ran like that all star thing where they had cup drivers drive, and everyone had like a an artist, like a Warner Brothers artist on the car. Like there was like a Cheryl Crow truck and a big and rich truck. And like, and it ran at a bunch of different races, not just at richmond and i think it was a kiss truck for the richmond race no the the kiss truck was actually matt crafton and it was all the gm oh that's right yeah, yeah. cars but like yeah that it was a chevy country all-star program so like something like it, that yeah they had all country artists on that 47 truck and then they had a bunch of different cup drivers from like rob gordon ricky craven tony stewart michael waltrip bobby labani all running in it and it was it was kind of interesting 
program where you have like the manufacturer involved with uh, like a outside commercial entity. And it's just like great to have money flowing in. That, what a time that, to that be alive. Exist. Yeah. Man. You know, now, we're so fortunate that we got to watch that back then. My God. Yeah. And on a, on a vehicle that could go and win, I think like Bobby Labonte won actually. He won a Marty Seven truck five. Yeah. During that period. So, yeah. it, and it was very competitive throughout that time too. Cause you know, Setzer was ultra competitive during that time. So, you know, nowadays you just, you see some collaboration and it's on a back marker car, no offense to the back marker car, but it's like, we need the money and they want to be associated with NASCAR. So it's, yeah, like you're saying different how times have changed with that so yeah no no car really to write home to mama about and say hey give me this die cast from the 2004 edition know. those kiss here. cars are pretty sick man if the you're kiss a kiss are, fan the kiss ones are dope the kiss cars were cool though i find with kiss like you either meet people who really love kiss or really hate kiss and there's not really like a middle ground i believe i'm kind of the middle ground like i don't mind kiss like when Detroit Rock City comes on the radio. I don't change it. I leave it on because that song's baller. They have some bangers, man. You got to respect the bangers, even of bands you don't like. So there is a banger I'm trying to remember right now. It's an older Kiss song. I'm going to be honest. I, I'm in the same boat too. Like, you know, I, I did Kiss. I understand where their place in history I, is. I'm not going to buy tickets to a concert. I don't know, dude. I've heard that a Kiss show is one of the best concerts you'll ever see. Have you seen the Kiss supercars? They sponsored two supercars in a race multiple times in Australia. Like both cars and the fire suits were actually like the four Kiss guys. Like nice. it was unreal. But yeah, so Kiss will put their name on anything. They owned an arena football league team for a while. They did. That, that was interesting. And, and Gene Simmons was the face of IndyCar for quite some time too, which brought out a lot of relevancy back to the brand, uh, to the band. Um, Strutter was uh, my favorite. Strutter. Ball. Yeah. It's a banger. It's, it's a good, good, it's a good riff. Uh, love, love gone. Yeah. Ronnie. Cause you know, it's, it's about my junk. So it's, there's such a silly band too. the disco album. They're, oh man. I was made for loving you. That song's awesome. I was made. I can't, can't just can't like that. We're going to get a DMCA, like yeah. pull down this. I, thing. <laughs> I, I, I like kiss, you know, I, when I was, you know, like my adolescence, like late teens, I really got into them and understood what they, you know, were doing and kind of saw some like bio doc, not bio docs, but some of their docs that they had mm. like their live concerts. And you're like, okay, I, I get it. I get what they do. And it's kind of cool. Like I dig it. I wouldn't go, like, I wouldn't try to go see a show. Cause it's, it's not like you're going to a club and seeing like a, a, a decent sized concert. Like I would go see a kiss cover arena. band in a second. I would go see a kiss cover band. No problem. Cause it's like, it's just like I, yes. you're seeing kiss. Cause they're playing characters, right? It's like the same thing. You know, it's funny to kind of bring it back here. Like at New Hampshire, there was a really good ACDC cover band down to the outfits and everything. I was amazing. Like, you're going to do it, like do it right. You know, you got to dress the part and everything you do. So to really bring it back to this, uh, 2003, I remember Trapped performed at Richmond. That was that was really dope because they were on Robbie Gordon's car. And at that time, dude, I was I was hardcore vibing to, to Trap and and that <laughs> had strong song. It was, and I I had that CD. I don't know why, but there was some uh, referral program. You order CDs and you get them in the mail. I don't know why my family had that. Yeah, we, we had that too. And that, yeah, and and one of those came, 
and 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 it had traps uh like uh first album in it so we had that so i vibed with that that was kind of cool and also with 2003 had i think there were better rock and roll cars uh there was the sugar ray yeah um car i remember that and one was who, there. Hootie and the Blowfish was 2003 as well. Yeah. Um, who, who else was there? We had, that, that was Uncle Cracker as well. Uncle Cracker. Uncle Cracker. Oh, <laughs> so many genres in one man. My God. Yeah. Hootie uh, and the Blowfish. Remember, we saw Darius Rucker at the 2020 500 because he played the pre-race concert. We did not see him at all. No, we, we were sitting in the media center, the but we heard we him and he did play. He did play. I only want to be with you. And I was like, damn straight. I only want to be with you. You see the weirdest bands play previous concerts. Like remember when we were at Homestead and we saw the gin blossoms play like before him. I'm like, and I'm like, James, real quick. I'm going to go shoot this gin blossoms concert. <laughs> That's because we, we weren't cool enough to go during the the trapped era. Oh, sure. traps performing. Cool. And we weren't cool enough to go to the Southern Mountain Dew 500 when sean white was the grand marshal like excuse us mark we weren't extreme enough for the early 2000s yeah we we didn't we didn't go see bon jovi in the 2006 daytona 500 pre-race show i still remember watching that man oh yeah uh yeah that was that was a good one i I remember the pre-race show was kind of cut short because of the rain but let's 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 bring it back to to uh, to these paint schemes. You made a note that I think you're correct that Jeff Green has the best paint scheme in this race. He does, and honestly, Petty's throughout the early 2000s did, especially the 43 car. Kyle was no sloucher in that 45 car. The Brawny car had some good paint schemes. GP they brought some good ones, but this Grand's Biscuits car. I don't even eat no Grand's Biscuits, but. I'm vibing with it. It's all over the place. A lot of colors, but I dig it. And you know what? Jeff Green has a good run in it. And so he makes it look good by running. Richmond's good. a good track for Jeff Green. It is. Sleeper driver at Richmond. And But you know what? I, I got to say, controversial opinion. I wasn't really a big fan of the Petty Blue Cheerio schemes. Ooh. I never was really a fan of them. Because now that we've seen Cheerio schemes like that have been awesome, like with yellow and black, and like I'm like, those are so much better. Because I get it. We have to have Petty Blue right like it's okay i thought the laziest paint scheme ever was the checks mix one where they just use petty blue and put checks mix logos all over it hey you know what those lazy we can save money on paint let's do it well if you're going to use any paint why not be iconic with petty blue you know what i mean so uh interesting note with this race is we know someone who was not only at the track but they participated in this event it's our good friend, Brent Wentz. Brent was the rear tire carrier on Jeremy Mayfield's number 19 team on the weekends. During the week, he was the number nine mechanic at the shop for Evernham Motorsports. It's quite a crazy split, Mark. You know, it's interesting that he's working really hard Monday through Friday to work on the nine car. And then on Sundays, he's working really hard on the 19 car all hands on deck wherever they need you you know because that was this was back you know when like the crew guy the picker guys still wrenched on cars yes this is right around when people started having specific people to be on the pick i think it was red bull it was like the first team in 07 to have a dedicated guys that only pit the cars you know i would say so too and in this in this period we're actually seeing what would become 
the new training regimen and also to what is the development of that training regimen. You know, you see a lot of uh, connections with professional sports, whether it be Major League Baseball, uh, the NFL, uh, college football, uh, even hockey, just that connection can translate over to NASCAR and those people can find out how they can benefit the sport too. And a lot of that area is within the pit crews. So they come over, whether they be trainers, you know, doctors, what have you, and they're putting their influence on the sport. And it's actually changing what we're seeing in pit stop development and uh, pit stop execution, you know? So I think it's really cool that we get to actually talk with Brent about this uh mark had a good idea it was like hey man why don't we don't chat with him i'm like yeah why don't we chat with him so we reached out to brent and he was able to give us some insights about what it was like being on the pit crew during that era in the early 2000s the biggest things i wanted to talk with you about today brent um were specifically just your time with the 19 team the Everham racing pit crew uh you had an interesting way of working at Everham, but I know in 2003, you were at Ultra Motorsports. So tell me how you got from Ultra Motorsports over to Everham. Yeah, well, uh, Ultra Motorsports effectively shut down um, after 2003. I think they ran maybe one or two races in 2004, Daytona 500, and maybe a, a couple more after that. But ultimately, that place... Um, you know, shut the doors. Um, so Tommy Baldwin was the crew chief at ultra and we had a good group of guys throughout the whole company from the chassis shop to the pit crew to the, you know, the guys that travel and, uh, and Tommy always took care of the people that took care of him. So, you know, when that deal shut down, I'd say 15 to 20 employees from ultra, ended up at Everham. Um, and there was a partnership kind of like a silent partnership between ultra and Everham with the Dodge deal. You know, they had Casey Atwood, you know, and all that stuff going on. So there might've been, there might've been more to it behind the scenes that that many people ended up at Everham. But, uh, yeah, eventually Tommy was crew chief for Casey Kane and a lot of us went up there and worked. So, I was hired as a mechanic for the nine team with Casey. And then I pitted the 19 with Mayfield on Sundays. So it's kind of a weird deal. You know, you, you worked on one and on Sunday, you, you know, you switched superhero costumes and you uh, went over and worked on the other. So during the race, it was like, you're watching the car that you prepared and worked on. And then you're watching the car that you're, you're pitting. So it was, you know, I mean, if you wanted a team aspect, I guess I got it right there at Everham in those those years. Yeah, I'd, I'd assume like the closest person to relate to you would be like uh, Ray Everham because like he's got a dog in both fights right there. And you do, too, because you're working on one Monday through Friday and then like on the weekend, like you're saying, uh, Pitt and the other. So uh, something that I, I noticed, too, a little bit throughout time was that the training regiment for pit crews has ramped up significantly, but the number nine and 19 teams specifically throughout the early 2000s, they were uh, a constant 
pit crew. Um, talk about some of the training you guys did during that time frame, and what was that like? You know, how much of the day was training, and then who was really training you? Yeah, I mean, in the you'd always have morning workout sessions. Uh, you know, each team nine nineteen, you'd you know they'd go through workout, and then you'd do pit stop practice, and then you know then the nine would do it. And then the 19 would do it. It would just fall in line. But first thing in the morning, I remember at the 19, we would just go right to workout, you know, first thing in the morning. And then I would be followed up by, you know, some calisthenic kind of stuff outside and then, you know, a little warm up, and then you do pit stop practice for, you know, five or six stops. And sometimes the crew chiefs would come out there and give you different, plays or different options of, of pit stops. So you were prepared for adjustments and, and things like that. Um, and further into that season, we hired a guy that was actually a trainer for the Carolina Panthers. And he came in and that, that was a whole different, you know, a whole different set of workouts and, and calisthenics and shuttle runs and, and running around fields and and it was it was crazy that you know that that was brought to the table because that was a whole that's was a whole new thing you know bringing that's kind of when the athletes started coming in because the the nfl and major league baseball and hockey college football had connections then to nascar because these these trainers were coming in to to help out with the race teams so, um, yeah, halfway through that season, our Jack man, his name was Ed Watkins. He still pits for Ganassi. He's a gas man now, but he was a Jack man then. I mean, we were doing these shuttle runs in the parking lot and that trainer guy had us picking up lug nuts on like doing these dash runs back and forth. And you'd reach down to pick up a lug nut and then go to the other side and pick up a lug nut. Well, this Ed, he's a big dude. You know, he's the Jack man. He's a big guy. He reached down to pick up a lug nut and he blew his knee because this was all new to us. You know, it's not we, nothing we ever have done. So our bodies weren't used to all this, you know, mess. Well, he reached down to pick up a lug nut, blew his knee out, and it was, I mean, you could see it. It was bad. And then when he, went to catch himself with put his weight on his other leg, his other one blew out. So here's this guy, 300 pound muscular dude, just laying on the ground, just in tears and pain, you know, it's just, that's what it, that's what it started to evolve in because you, you just weren't used to that kind of training because you were just, you were just guys, you know, you're just, mechanics and you did the pit stops and you worked on the cars and <laughs> I can remember that day like yesterday it was terrible we're like oh yeah we're bringing in these new NFL training regimens and look what it's doing it, it you know injuring our guys and things like that but it was just freak accident you know it was, it's just just a new deal you know and now it's second nature to do all that stuff for these guys do you think it was like uh, you guys were 
in that period, a bit of like the guinea pigs, you know, understanding uh, what regimens or workouts, whatever works over here in this sport and doesn't work obviously over in NASCAR um, because there are a lot of similarities, but then they're also, like you're saying, there's a lot of things that just you can't, you should be doing with your body uh, at the track. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) sometimes when you were doing that stuff, you felt like you're in a circus because you're, jumping through hoops and jumping through tires and jump like, you know, it's like, Hey, listen up, dude, we gotta, we also have to work today. You know, it's like, you know, but yeah, we were kind of the Guinea pigs, but I mean, that's, I mean, that's like anything in racing, something new is going to pop up and you got to adapt. And, and like I said, that's when the, you know, the, the athletes started to uh, come into the sport and, and, take the load kind of off of the mechanics that we're doing the Monday through Friday, Friday through Sunday work on the cars. And that way those guys could focus on the cars. And then, you know, the other people could focus on just the picker stuff. And nowadays, 75 to 90% of the people that do pit stops do not work in the shops, do not, touch the race cars do not none of that they're just you know most are contract labor or you know they're just their sole job is to pit the car and that's just what they do you know you know there's a few and far between people that do both anymore so talk about back then what was it like balancing uh this newer training regimen constant training plus the constant work uh that goes on inside the shop yeah it was it was a lot i mean your day was your days went by quick because you were just i mean you barely had time to eat lunch you know so you you did your workouts you did your pit stop stuff and then you know lo and behold you get to take a shower after you do all that just put on your work clothes and get back over to to the the car side of things and you know those days, it wasn't like you had a travel day or a Monday off or you were just constantly working. And But you didn't know any different because it's just, just the way it was, you know, because you just had to do all those things and that was just second nature, you know. If you grew up in the Bush series, like in the, like I did, like 1999, 2000, 2001, you did it all, you know, you, (laughs) you washed the hauler, you built the cars, you did pit stops, you you did it all. You traveled with the team, you worked Friday, Saturday at the racetrack, you you did it all. So it, it wasn't anything new to most of us, you know, working that hard and, and picking up, you know, there wasn't really any slack. I mean, you did, you just did it all. Up, Mark. I feel like that was one of the teams in the early 2000s. Uh, much like you say, Red Bull really changed it by having the uh, individual crew members be uh, specifically just pit crew guys. Around this period, just the training that went behind uh, being a pit crew member, I feel like that was uh, revolutionary uh, during this this period. Yeah, like that's the thing. the The big deal is just like 
really focusing on, on this being a very important part of racing. This is when we were starting to see 13 second pit stops. And that was really fast back then. I know that five, the five man pictures do them like 11 seconds now, but like 13 back then was pretty fast. And they were like, what, seven or eight guys over the wall at that point. I think, I think it was seven. Cause you had I think it was seven. Cause you, you had the catch, catch can. can and you had a guy who could service the driver. Mm-hmm. Or did they start that in 05? I can't remember what year they allowed somebody to go over the wall and hand the guy like a bottle of water. They didn't have to do, they didn't have to put a stick out anymore with a bottle of water. They could actually send the guy out to do it. Um, but yeah, man, it was a crazy time. Like for this really started becoming super competitive and, and every team had to catch up. It had to be like, Hey, like we can't just, you guys can't just wrench on cars and then like pit t- do tires in the weekend. You have to be really, really good because you, you make up tenths on the racetrack, you make up seconds in the pits. Right. And that's the thing. And in this race, with Jerry Mayfield's crew, like we'll see that play a crucial role later on in the race. That's right. Cause like the biggest thing about this race and with Jeremy Mayfield is that Mayfield is trying to fight to get into the chase, 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 chase. the top 10 in points. That's right. We have not even talked about it because we tried to ignore the elephant in the room, but the elephant's been staring at us. And we have to talk about it. And that's the chase, the inaugural chase for the NASCAR Nextel Cup. Um, this is the final race to get in. It's race 24 mark of the 2004 season. And there are 15 drivers that have a mathematical shot to be within the top 10 in points. So towards... I believe seventh place in points. That's really where the, the heat is on to where either you can make it or you can, you can break your season right there and you can be eliminated from the chase. So kind of fill us in a little bit on some chase scenarios because Mark, it's really, really tight from seventh on back. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. And if you want more info on how the chase works, go back, watch or listen to the last podcast. We did a whole breakdown of how it works. It's the same in 05 as 04. So just go back, check out that podcast. But so Kurt Busch, he's in seventh. And to make sure that he's in the chase, he is the easiest thing. He just has to finish 41st or better. There's 43 cars in the race. So as long as two crash out, he's golden. He's going to make the chase no matter what anyone else does. Uh, Ryan Newman's in eighth but he's 404 points behind the leader and he's only 20 points ahead of 10th back then you got what 180 for a win. And then it just went down from there. 190, if, actually 185 for a win, 190, if you won and led the most laps, I think it was 180 and then 190 if you led the most laps and won because, because you, you get five for leading one lap and then five for the most. So totally yeah, 190. So it's, it's- 185 for winning because you would get one. Oh, that's right. Bonus. Sorry, I think 05 they made winning worth five points more, like the next year, I think. Um, yeah, the next year, yeah, it was it was because okay. they're like, Oh, how can we get it to be closer? You're right for, for 06, yeah, for so 05 and 06, yeah. Ryan Newman, he has to finish seventh or better to be guaranteed, regardless of what anyone else does. Obviously, that will fluctuate, but so to, to make to have his own destiny, as long as he finished seventh or better, he doesn't have to worry about anyone else. Casey Kane. He's had an interesting season. I believe he ends the year with like 13 top fives, but like 20 some DNFs. So he has a make, he has six second place finishes in the season. It's his rookie year. And he finished outside the top 25 at Richmond in the fall. So that could come into play here. He has to finish fourth or better to be locked in. So that's a tall order. And then Mark Martin, 
the legendary Mark Martin is 10th place in points. And he should know by lap 30, if he can win this race, because he's, this is good because he's going to have to go all out for the win at Richmond. He needs to finish third or better to ensure he's in the chase. And then the rest of the guys, so Jamie McMurray, the 11th place driver, he has to win. Bobby Labonte has to win. Dale Jarrett has to win. Jeremy Mayfield has to win. And Kevin Harvick has to win. And some of them might even need some help along with that, even if they do win the race. So it's so tight this year, man. It's crazy that all these guys are mathematically alive in this like final race of just this like shootout. You know, it's like, hey, all the chips are on the table. Let's go. And it this is an awesome race. It is. And the biggest thing to note about it is it's not just the top 10 that will be taken in to the chase. It is actually the top 10 or the first set of drivers within 400 points of the leader. So looking down at the points breakdown, Kevin Harvick, the last driver mentioned in 15th, he's 480 points back from points leader, Jimmy Johnson. Mark, you can, like we said, you can gain 190 from winning. Honestly, you can lose a lot too by placing 43rd. And there's a lot of people that have bullseyes on guys like Jimmy Johnson and Jeff Gordon, who are at Mm -hmm. the top of the points, trying to get them knocked down so that more drivers could be eligible for the chase. It's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out too during the race. And like we kind of mentioned a little bit, bonus points, they matter. Leading a lap and leading the most laps are crucial because those are five points that you get. No one else can. And with the way the positions break down, really the only way you're gaining five points is if you're passing people in the top six from further on back, you're only gaining four points from seventh through 11th and only three points from 12th to 43rd. So you really want to get up there and lead a lap, at least get those five points because that two extra points can be very valuable later on down the road. Yeah. Last place paid 34 points. So the most you could ever gain on someone in a race is 156. If you win the race and lead the most laps, you can make up 156 points if the other person finishes last. So that's the absolute maximum you can make up. So this, like you watch this race and you're just watching the points fluctuation throughout the race. And it is insane. Mm Mm-hmm. It's it, it's ever evolving because you have people who are on the bubble of 10th and, and just being in the chase in the top 10, then they go further back in the field and you have people who are further back 15th, 16th in points who jump up because they're running in the top five. When you have that constantly going on and you have a live look at it, you're really getting to see how the scenarios break down. So it's hard to monitor that and then monitor the racing because it's all hypothetical because it doesn't really matter until the last lap so kind of does matter though to understand exactly where you're running and how you're running so just to talk about where and how we're running let's look at one driver in particular jeremy mayfield's night to make the chase okay we've talked about many drivers that have a chance to make the chase in that breakdown but Jeremy Mayfield is one specific driver that we need to look at. All right. He's 14th in points. Okay. So we all know sort of in the annals of history that Jeremy Mayfield can make it, but how the heck does he make it from 14th mark? That's the question. 
It's the thing. He's got to finish. Well, he has to win the race. That's the only, he has only, his only option is to win the race. So you're he's got to win the race and he needs, and he needs a little bit of help. He needs trouble from his competitors. So yeah. not, not and, to mention ill will, but uh, it's a tall order. But the other thing too, is like, you're like, well, that's a lot of pressure. Is it though? Because you only have one outcome. You have to give it your all and go for it. There's no being conservative. You know what you have to do going into this race. So early on, they start seventh, a great qualifying run. They've got a great trimmed out car. And, you know, early on the 19, they're looking very strong. They're running the top five. And then on the lap 53 caution, they decide they're going to just take fuel only. They're not going to change tires. And that's an interesting call because we're going to see that play out later in the race. And on the restart, Mayfield's fighting hard with Mike Wallace in James Finch's 09 car, uh, but he does get the lead on lap 62. This battle rate, this is a great battle, man, with the two with the two lanes at Richmond. You see that side-by-side battling where like uh, Jeremy's trying on the bottom, but Mike just has a run off the corner that's just great and can stay ahead of him. They're both on old tires, but he does eventually make his way by on lap 100. So Jeremy Mayfield's going to get those five bonus points for leading a lap not only does he lead a lap mark but he goes on a lead 16 laps and then kurt bush is going to be the class of the field for a little bit he takes the lead from mayfield but mayfield's pretty quick honestly even just sitting in second he ran the fastest lap on the track so mayfield's car is pretty quick even on old tires Tires, he hasn't changed yet at all. And we're talking lap 125. Now on lap 143, he would settle into second. And then caution came out. Leaders were brought down pit road. He has an amazing four tire stop, wins the race off pit road. Amazing job by his pit crew. Honestly, uh, something we heard about them was they learned to slow down to go fast. They were really beating themselves up the week before in Fontana and they do an amazing job here getting Jeremy off pit road with a good consistent stop. And you know what? Let's give a shout out to Brent Wentz. He's going to give, uh, you know, a little pit crew spotlight along with everyone else on that 19 crew. Kenny Francis, uh, crew chief, Jacksonville, Florida, Bob Downs, front tire carrier, Homedale, New Jersey, Dana Worthing, front tire changer, Lincoln, Maine, Rick Pennington, Jackman, Oakland, California. Brent Wentz, rear tire carrier, Lee Height, Pennsylvania. Mike Jansen, rear tire changer, Sydney Island. Tank Probus, gas man, Louisville, Kentucky. Rich Muckenthaler, catch can, Turner, Michigan. Greg Miller, pit crew coach, Akron, Ohio. Uh, let's talk with Brent a little bit about what it was like that night at Richmond. So I'm going to take you back to September 2004. All right, so Fontana, race weekend, 19 team, uh, struggle a little bit that weekend. But during the training the week before Richmond, uh, it said that the team found out it was better to slow down to go fast, that classic motto, uh, but it was applied to the pit stops. Do you remember that time period and the training before that race uh, at Richmond? Yeah, I mean, you went into that mindset i mean it is what it is you it is easier to slow down to go fast i mean it it works that way with racing too you like you tell the guys 
that are driving the cars that you need to save fuel. They're backing up the corners. Their lap times are faster. So you're like, hey, are you saving fuel? Yeah, I'm saving fuel. Well, your lap times are faster than what they were when you were out there digging. You know, so it works in both ways. But yeah, I mean, we went into that Richmond weekend, you know, <laughs> the nine team was on the on the verge of being in the chase. The 19 was like 55 points out or something like that. Needed to have a perfect weekend to make the chase. So here I am on one car that's kind of in and then on the other car that needs to make it in. So it's kind of like what the RCR guys are dealing with this weekend. They got one in, one out, you know, same thing. So yeah, just we went into that weekend knowing that we had a, you know, Kenny Francis and the 19 guys knew they had to have a perfect, perfect weekend. And the nine team, you know, had to pretty much do the same, you know. And lo and behold, I think Kurt Busch was leading the race with 10 laps to go and ran out of fuel. And you know, we inherited the lead and, you know, Jeremy won the race and punched his ticket right to the, you know, to the playoffs. So a perfect weekend, led the most laps and won the race, put him in, knocked the nine out. <laughs> so it was a weird, again, it was just a weird like flight home. Cause it's, you got the 19 bunch that's happy. And you were part of their deal. They won the race. So you're kind of like, happy and then you look over at your nine team that you work with during the week and they're all pissed off and sad and then you're kind of like oh great now I gotta deal with those guys all next week you know so yeah it was, it was interesting but it was cool to be part of that I think you know to realize that that format the chase or the playoffs has been around that long is kind of kind of interesting I, we talked about it via text and I was like, Holy cow, that's a long time. You didn't, it doesn't feel like it's that long, but it is. Yeah. It, it kind of uh, puts it into perspective of like how long it's been around, but then also probably for you really puts in perspective how many, how many years you've, you've been doing this and also how many teams you've worked for throughout your tenure and all the roles you've, you've, you've uh, assumed in that time period. Uh, this moment, this like whole weekend, how does this like rank in your whole like racing career? Cause like you said, the whole wacky side of having a dog in both fights and just having to, to go with the up and down adversity of that, where does it rank? Well, it's definitely unforgettable. Uh, you know, when, when you think about it, you, it, <laughs> It's not something that ha would happen to a lot of people because there's not a lot of people that were in that position. But, you know, you always say, you know, one team, one dream, but your biggest competitor every weekend is your teammates. You know, I, I feel like in any circumstance, if you're at Roush, it was the same way. It was like you, you were, seem like you raced your teammates harder because you know you, you're getting the same stuff, right, from the same – everything is the same. We all have the – we can all go over to the candy jar and pick out the same candy, right? 
but who can take all that and make it into something better? And that's always the competition between all the race teams. And that's still that way today. So, you know, when I suited up for the 19 on Sundays, I wanted to beat the nine. I mean, that's just the way it was. You, you know, you just want to prove that you, you can do better than those guys. And that's, you know, it's just, it's a friendly competition. It's a team competition, but when you get back there on Monday and you go break down your pit stop practice and your, your race, you don't want to be the ones in there going, Oh, these guys suck this weekend. You don't want to be the, the suck team. You want to be the one that did good. So, you know, it, it's still like that today. I mean, it's still like that at team Penske. It's still like that at, Hendrick. I mean, you just, you want to, you want to beat the guys that you train with and you want, you know, it's just, it's just the way it is. You know, you put on different suits on Sunday. So you, that's your competition, whether, whether you have that team aspect or not, that's still, that's still somebody you have to beat. So that's just the way you got to look at it. Well, I hope everyone keeps looking at that because it always seems like the best competition and best rivalries come from within. So it's always good to see that in the, in the sport. Brent, thank you for your time, man. I really appreciate you giving me some perspective on this moment. Uh, being the, you were the rear tire changer at that time, rear tire, excuse me, you were the rear tire carrier at that time. So one real quick question actually about the, being that, that rear tire carrier, what was that position like back then? Cause I know you had the cash can man to deal with too. Uh, yeah. And how have you seen it evolve? Yeah, I mean, now that, you know, back then it was, you know, you did all your, sometimes you did all your adjustments. Sometimes the catch can man would do some of your adjustments. So, you know, like I did it for six, seven years, that position. Mm -hmm. And it, it evolved because you, you wouldn't have to do as much because you get this big, tall catch can, man, right? That was the thing back in the day. You'd get your catch can, man, would be your tallest guy. So he could do all the adjustments in the back window, you know, with a ratchet. Because for me, you would have to sling the tire on. Well, first you'd have to set the wrench in the window, sling the tire on, then do your adjustment, wait for the changer to get done and kind of follow him around. And then they started using the catch cam and do the adjustments. So that was one less thing that you had to do, you know, and, you know, we had big gas men and big catch cam. So it was like, you were going around all these guys and there could be spilled fuel or, I mean, it, you just organized chaos is all it was. But now, I mean, it's a whole different set of the way you do it i mean it the the motions are all different tires are going this way people are going that way it's it's if you watch a pit stop in the 2000s and and then near it to a pit stop now it's not even the same it's completely different but yeah, me, go ahead but the mechanics of it the mechanics of it is the same it's just the way it's orchestrated with less people and how it gets completed is completely different. But I, the guys that do it now 
that have adapted to that new way, it's amazing how fast they still are. You know, when they said, oh, we're going to get rid of uh, this guy and this guy, right? They're like, oh, my God, we only were two guys less. It would take forever to do these pit stops. They're right back to where they were, you know. And then next year, you know, it's going to be one lug nut thing, and I don't even know how that's going to affect the way things go. Are they going to use the same mechanics? Are they going to use the same orchestration? Are they going to are they going to mix it up? Is it going to be like IndyCar? Is there going to be, you know, a guy on each corner? Is it, you know, I feel like that's not something that they would think about doing because there's not their jacks. And there's not stuff like that. So I don't, I know they tried air jacks, um, but the cars are so heavy that it just doesn't, you know, it'll pick up an Indy car like that, right? These things are tanks. So they couldn't find a, a jack that was air jack that would keep the car up and keep it stable without, you know, failing. So I believe the orchestration of the pit stop will be the same. It's just going to, you're going to have one lug nut. (laughs) It's going to be weird, but you know, that's, that's the same thing. I mean, it's going to be a new car. It's going to be a new everything. It's going to be, you know, either, (laughs) either it's going to be a home run or it's going to be a couple foul balls. You don't, you don't know. It's going to, time will tell, but like anything in racing, Everybody adapts. The cream rises to the top. You know, <laughs> it's just the way racing is. You're you're not gonna take you're not gonna take a 40th place car and 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 change the whole series, and that guy is gonna run from 38th to third. It ain't it ain't gonna happen. You're not taking you know just a comparison. You're not gonna take a Rick Ware or a Starcom racing and and move them to the front just by you know proposing a new car and a new way of doing things and it'll still be the the Hendricks and the Penske's and the Gibbs or it's just it's just the way it is it really is but I think something we'll continue to see is as you mentioned the athleticism of pit stops and also uh the audibles and plays that these pit pit crews like uh, like throw out almost every stop is like a different play whether it's like oh i need need a adjustment with the wed- wedge wrench i need a little bit of packer in the front i need you to put this tape on the grill windshield tear off hand the driver this or that like all those they're all being practiced like every every day and then they're yep. thrown into effect on sundays too yeah and then, and i mean i guarantee you that one of these big teams already has somewhat of a next gen something that they're already practicing what's going to happen next year. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I guarantee you there's at least a, 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 a wheel or a hub or a something that they're, they're already 10 steps ahead of the game than the, than the next guy, you know? So you know, like I said, the, the the cream will always rise to the top. The top teams will be ahead of the other ones, and and when that car hits the ground running at Daytona, 
the same people that are dominating this year will be dominating next year. You know, it might close the gap up a little bit until everybody figures it out, but some will figure it out before the others. So it's just welcome to NASCAR racing in 2022. It'll be interesting. <laughs> exactly. Brent, man, thanks for your time. I really appreciate you taking me back to, you know, 2004, the position, what you did and giving me a lot of insight. Cause that's uh that's crazy that you were working for both teams at the same time, but like, kind of like you're saying, like almost like a superhero, you, you go from like wrench in one hand on uh, Monday through Friday. And then like you transform into this like pit crew athlete ready to sling a tire onto that hub yeah. when needed. Yeah, it was, it was definitely interesting. And, you know, you know, always thanks to, you know, Ray Everham. I, I grew up watching him race against my dad and modifieds in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. So it was neat to work for, you know, Ray and his, and his operation and, you know, just, just to be part of that for a couple of years. And, you know, it, it that deal kind of fizzled out pretty, pretty quick with a partner here and a partner there. And unfortunately it didn't, it didn't hold, hold true for very long, but to be, you know, to have a little bit of skin in that game with, with his team, knowing the history of his racing career in, in the Northeast, it was cool to say that you, you know, worked for, for Ray and it opened up doors and opportunities to do other things also, you know, put yourself with, around those people and, you know, you're going to get opportunities other places too. So. Right on. Always go and look for the next door to open and yeah. opportunities to show up. Thank you yep. so much, Brent. Appreciate it. Yep. Thanks. Amazing. Amazing butterflies, the tension, you know, he just wants to go out there and beat that 19 car mark halfway in this race, dude. And that trouble it's happening now. Unfortunately it's for Mayfield's teammate, Casey Kane, the bad night. It just took a turn for the worst because he spun in turn two. And this is on lap 207 mark. That's going to put the nine a lap down. And open up an opportunity for that 19 to break into the top 10 in points. It's actually going to open up an opportunity for a lot of drivers. Because like you said, the points are just continuing to fluctuate throughout the night. And that just throws a whole wrench into the chase breakdown. Yeah, so NBC actually during this race on the ticker had names highlighted. So if your driver's name was green, they were in the chase at that exact moment. If it was yellow, they were eligible, but out of it. So, and you just see the names change There's points when certain guys are in and certain guys are out. It's just crazy. And that's what I think we're really missing from like a points championship now, you know, but I, I get it. We want to watch guys fight for the win, but it's sometimes you look back in the pack and like, we got to watch this battle for 17th because like, if he gets by him, he's going to be in the top 10 in points because it came down to like that, that few points. And I think this is the year the championships decided by like six points or something. Yeah, eight points. Eight, eight points. eight points yeah. at the end. But I think the biggest thing with that is how many Hail Marys you're seeing through uh, a lot of thrown by a lot of competitors. Bobby Labani, he's looking super competitive right now, running up front, just driving really good. Uh, you got guys like Mark Martin who are trying their hardest. That big wreck that took out Jimmy Johnson, it really threw a curveball in there because that took a 60 point deficit that at least he had on Jeff Gordon out of it. So it took 60 points away from a lot of other teams 
to like get from the 48. And then also when the 24 started to have trouble, that started to really close up the points. And then it just starts opening up that 10th place battle. Cause even going into this race, man, they were super close for 10th, man. I think it was like 40 points. Getting back to it, Mayfield would battle with Kurt Busch for the lead, and they would go back and forth. Mayfield would get the better of Bush and drive away. Then Matt Kenseth came up and would battle with Mayfield before the 19 relinquished the lead so he could get onto pit road and get another amazing stop from his due crew. What a, a that's a good 15.1 second stop, Mark. Solid. The tires were on faster than the fuel was in there, dude. That that's a great stop. Good to see that from the 19 team. And now he's back on the track after that lap 255 pit stop. And this is where it gets interesting because there's this whole cycle with the pit stops, Mark. But luckily for the 19, they're able to stay on the lead lap and actually get back into the top five during the cycle. Yeah, so some of the leaders get caught out here because they pit at the wrong time. So this actually really plays into Mayfield's hand. Now, this is something you see talked about a lot is like, should we let's pit early? Because if we pit now, there's a chance of us cycling back through if a caution comes out, right? Now, if you wait and you wait and you wait and you're the last car to come down pit road under green, the caution comes out, well, you're going to the back when you pit under yellow. So it, it's just this, this, this constant argument you'll see happen, at, you know, even in races now, like where it's like, well, did we pit? Did we stay? Oh, I wonder if there's a yellow. So he just lucked out. Honestly, that's just luck of the draw. Lap change 93, caution comes out. So he's still inside the top 10, does not get caught a lap down. Then his laps wind down. Kurt Busch is still leading Jerry Mayfield, but Kurt did not pit on lap 293. And with 10 laps to go, the 97 runs out of fuel, giving the lead to the 19 of Jerry Mayfield, who leads the final eight laps, wins the race, James, and all importantly, makes the chase. Makes the chase. And that's what's interesting is he probably would have made the chase in second. I don't think he needed to pass Kurt Bush, but I think per- passing Bush and, and dramatically winning the race added more value because even as they ran, when uh, he got by Bush, probably around lap 315, when Kurt had his stumble and Earnhardt was leading, Mayfield had jumped up into 10th uh, in points, just running in second. So really just you can't script it, but NASCAR would have wanted to script that, but that's what they wanted and that's what they got. That's such an amazing story to see. Uh, someone come from the outside, burst into the top 10, win the race, win the whole shebang. Congratulations, hoopla. It's it's a celebration, man. That's that's the outcome you needed. And in the end of the night, with the way the points racked up, things were pretty close for that 400-point margin. Okay, The difference between 1st to 10th was 416 points. 11th place in points, Jamie McMurray was only 431 points out of first. But that all didn't matter because the points were reset, Mark. The top 10 were farther away from 11th on back. There was no way to touch them. If you're in the top 10, congratulations. You're going to New York at the end of the season, and you knew that 10 weeks in advance. So get your flight, get your tux, do all that now. You're going to be on David Letterman doing a top 10 list. Yeah. Yeah, you might be able to step out and have a speaking role. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see if they'll let you do that. But yeah, that's that's it. And and, and the other thing, too, is the, the, the flip in the points. 
Uh, going into the race, Jimmy Johnson had a, a 50 point lead over Jeff Gordon. And then after the race, Jeff Gordon had a 60 point lead over Jimmy Johnson. Of course, that was through the old points reset. I believe Jeff had a five point lead over Jimmy. Yeah. So they reset but, them like what? Like they were five points apart from first to 10th. Yes. Yeah. Or five, no, five points from first to second. I think 50 from first to 10th. Yeah. Yeah. For five, five per position. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so, so that's um, basically there was some incentive to be in first because you were you were you know you get five extra points ahead of the and you got a whole you. week of like oh you're number one you're leading the points that's right <laughs> yeah so. we didn't have they didn't call it a regular season champion like they do now so no there there was none but if there was Jeff Gordon would have won that title in 2004 but it, it you know adds more of that drama coming into the chase you know that's like five points that Jeff had on Jimmy that Jimmy had to make up. And even more so to Kurt Busch, because think of how much of, of a blow that was. So the next week he comes out and wins loud. And so, yeah, there, yeah. There, there was a lot there for the chase, but there's a lot of other stories. There's a few there other is. talking like, points we want to talk about. So how about, how about we, I'll start with, with this one and we'll, we'll let you go with the next one. Cause your shirt is relevant to right. the next one. So let's talk about cousin Carl, Carl Edwards. He somehow finished sixth. And let's figure out how he finished six. So cousin Carl, of course, broke into NASCAR, broke onto the scene in 2003 in the truck series, driving that 99. He's back flipping off tailgates, winning races for Roush racing, doing a great job in that Ford F-150. 2004, while running that full-time truck season, he actually starts to run cup races in the second half of the season in the number 99 Ford for Roush. And this race at Richmond is actually his fourth ever cup series start. So let's look at his night. So Carl had a solid qualifying run started 13th and he had some extra track time mark. Cause he did run the truck race earlier that weekend. After having a solid run inside the top 15, Carl spun off turn two from the 17th position on lap 53. Now by lap 100, he was running back in 38th. And he was off the lead lap. Things aren't looking good for, for Carl here. And it's just going to get worse because he almost brushes the wall off turn two on lap 143. Now, there's no damage to the 99. In fact, he doesn't even get into the wall. But for some reason, we get a caution. Hashtag phantom caution. Now, by lap 150, Edward had improved to be up in the 31st position. After the pileup, Edwards in the 99 got the lucky dog and began to climb back through the field, running 19th by lap 200. During the cycle of green flag stops, Edwards was able to make his way up to fourth by lap 285. And when that caution flew, Edwards was still running in the top 10, where he would run out in the final 100 laps, coming home sixth. Didn't look like it could be that night for Carl, but geez, he pulled it together. That number 99 crew got him what he needed to have a good car, got them the right adjustments, and he came home with a top 10. Really good run for the rookie right there. It's all about perseverance in that white, unsponsored number 99. That was actually the first race where they didn't have a sponsor on the car. I think Jeff Burton ran some races unsponsored before this. He, he did, but but with Carl on the car. With Carl, with Carl yeah. on the car. Yeah. First race with, with Carl where there was no sponsor. And Jack was like, I'm still putting Carl in the car. Yeah. Well, it's Carl. Spoke, spoke a lot of volume. Well, I think his too. first race, he had like a top five, didn't he? Like Michigan. 
he had a good run. He was in the yeah. Green Lantern car. Yeah, he finished at least top 10 in his first race. So, But the next guy we got to talk about, the shirt. If you're watching the podcast on YouTube, you'll, you'll notice the shirt that I'm wearing. It's fantastic. Um, it's very rare. Um, it's from the Joe Gibbs R&D team. So we got to talk about the OG Strange starter, and he's in this race. It's Mike Bliss, and he has a crazy night in his the fourth Joe Gibbs car. I know they run four cars now. Actually, sorry, it was the third Joe Gibbs car back then. Excuse me. They didn't even have the 11 team yet. Nope. So this is the third Joe Gibbs car. It's number 80. And this was an R&D car. So they enter this car usually at like Daytona Talladega. But tonight, we're racing at Richmond. Mike also raced at Chicagoland that year. And he starts in the 33rd position. But lap 50, he's in 31st. But lap 100, he's in 25. So he's climbing up. But lap 150, he's in 20th. And still on the lead lap. That's the most impressive thing. He even avoids the big wreck. And he's inside the top 25 at about the halfway mark at lap 200. Even missing a spinning Casey Kane on lap 207. And he gets a shout out on NBC as he's going through the field. He has the number 80 in the 14th position. We're about two thirds through this race. And during the cycle of green flag pit stops, Bliss is battling with Mark Barton for second place. And when the caution flag flew on lap 293, the number 80 was in second and came off pit road first. For the last 100 laps of this race, Mike Bliss ran top five the entire time and brings that third Joe Gibbs car home in the fourth position. Mike Bliss, fourth place run in cup after the tumultuous career that he's had. He hasn't even won a Bush race yet at this point in his career. So, He's the was the 2002 Truck Series champion, and he's finally getting a run in a competitive Cup car, and he finishes in fourth place. And at this point, has Gibbs even announced they have a third team yet? I don't think so. I think they announced it later on. Uh, I think there was rumors at this point, but yeah, there was there was like really no announcement that uh, it was going to be the FedEx 11 car quite yet. I think it was a month or two away. So Bliss, maybe you know throwing his hat in the ring for that ride. Of course, we all know he ends up at Haas CNC racing for 05. Um, but man, it's just when Mike Bliss has a good night, it's a good race because we love Mike Bliss. The guy persevered his whole career. He drove, he drove for like a million owners. Go watch our video about Mike Bliss. I might give a shout out to, to Steve Addington on the pit box as crew chief. Mm-hmm. That's a, I believe is also his Xfinity crew chief at the time. Amazing job. He went on to be Bobby Labonte's crew chief like the next year. Yep. And then of course, you know, he, he worked for several great drivers. Of course, Tony Stewart was notable with, with, with Steve. And still, I think he's the crew chief over at Gibbs in the Xfinity side. So Mike Bliss, top five hunts, catch up car. We found this shirt on eBay with 18 bucks and we couldn't not buy it. So it was like my duty. I saw it. I'm like, we have to own that. Very important. Nice. Next up. We're going to look at rookie Shane Meal, one of our favorite drivers from the early 2000s. It was Shane Meal, okay? But Shane, he didn't make many uh, cup starts, okay? In fact, this was actually Shane's second cup start. His first start came the week prior in Fontana. So quite an interesting comparison to go make your first cup start at the two-mile Fontana Speedway and then come to the one-mile action track at richmond and make your second start and tonight he's going to be in the 23 bill davis dodge and mark before the race even starts there's a little contact between him and casey mears 
on pit road because Shane, he just couldn't get that number 23 build that he was racing. Dodge stopped soon enough to avoid Casey and just gives him a little tap on the rear bumper. The damage doesn't seem to affect him though, from taking the green flag. And he starts in the 29th position, but by lap 50 mark, he's up to 26. He's not, not running too bad. He's actually battling with Casey Kane and Robbie Gordon in the top 25 around lap 73 from that point, lap 73 to lap 76. So looking like he's uh, got a decently competitive car. And by lap 100, he's still doing pretty decent, 29th place. But unfortunately, Shane's going to go a lap down on lap 119. Nah, he's in 31st position at this point. By lap 150, uh, things aren't looking too good. Shane has fallen several laps down, running back in 39th position. He's going to fight with some other lap cars in the same lap. Robbie Gordon and Kyle Petty, they're all three laps down, and they're fighting hard. But Shane did miss that big wreck. Unfortunately, he's three laps down. And at lap 200, it's really hard to come back from that deficit. And he's going to stay three laps down for the final 200 laps. But he's going to move up to the 29th position. That's where he crosses the line when the checkers fly. Not a bad run for Shane Meal. Could have been a lot worse if he didn't get it stopped soon on pit road. Wow. Yeah, still good run. You know, not, not a bad uh, you know debut on a short track in a cup car. Hey, that that Bill Davis twenty three car that year was actually like sleeper good. Dave Blaney he had, had some good really pace during good the second part car. of that race. You know, it's like he could have stayed on the lead lap. He stayed like three laps down. He never lost that another yeah. lap. So like, and that's the thing. Like when you're in that situation, it's your second race. It's like okay, we're in a good spot. We have decent pace. Let's just run laps now and learn. Right? Like that's the whole point. So, yeah, and and, and that's the job. thing. Exactly, do your job, but. The thing is, too, it's like that second half of that race was a green flag run. There's only one caution. So he did did all that under green. Good job for him. Final driver that we're going to highlight from this race is Mike Wallace's incredible run. And this just really culminates about how crazy of a race that this was. Like Mike Wallace is driving the number 09 Mikasuki Gaming and Resorts Dodge for James Finch's Phoenix Racing. And this is a car that we really know in the Cup Series for really being entered and strong as super speedway tracks. Daytona, Talladega, Jeff Bodine in his top five finish uh, at Daytona, I think in 2002, 2003. Mike Wallace had a top five at Daytona in 2007 in this car. But they're entered at Richmond here. And team stayed out on lap 53. And they cautioned in the cycle of the lead. And this is when they were battling with Jeremy Mayfield. And... He, Mike Wallace shows great pace on old tires. He takes the lead on lap 54 and he keeps the number 19 car at bay for 45 laps, but finally gets passed on lap 100. Uh, back from the lead. So he's, he's a little back from the leaders, but he still runs inside the top five until the team pits. They have to pit under green on lap 143 because they need fuel. What eventually they'll get trapped a lap down when a caution comes out. And on lap 150, Mike was 32nd. He's far from being the first car lap down and being eligible for the lucky dog. Fortunately for the 09 team, they did get in position to get the free pass when the caution came out on lap 207 and they got back on the lead lap. The 09 team then benefited when the final caution came out during green flag pit stops. While some of the leaders were on pit road, they actually gained some serious track position. They took the green for the final restart with 100 laps to go in seventh position. 
And that's where they finish. A great run for James Finch's number 09 cup team, as I said, that are really only known for having super speedway success. But they had good flat track cars. They were good at Richmond, and Johnny Sauter had a top 10 in this car at Phoenix in 05. So they did have decent flat track speed. And Richmond is a track where Mike Wallace is really good. He's good on the flat tracks and the super speedways. And he did a really good run. So they they had, like you said, good flat track speed. And Richmond sometimes would be a, a track where it kind of was like an equalizer. A lot of teams could come there and, you know, you had a good test and you felt like you had good notes and you could apply those adjustments throughout the race. You had a good car, good driver. It's, Things could line up, and and it was nice to see, like every year, at least during the fall race, there was like one or two of these feel good stories. So, so it was good that Mike Wallace kind of got that with with Finch. It's really good that Finch got that. It's always nice when he gets it, and he likes to put in winners. So, Mark, it's our favorite time to talk to people about what we learned during this event. And I'll tell you, Mark, I learned a lot. First up, I learned the music playing throughout this broadcast. It, it, it includes some of the best 2004 hard rock classics. It's something you couldn't find on a Spotify playlist. You would have to probably just pick it out uh, from the CD collection. Unfortunately, you could only get it from a CD collection that you ordered from Time Life Music right now by calling this number 800 something, something, something. I don't know. You probably couldn't get this music. It, it's it's kind of angsty. Um, there was a point where we actually saw the American online guy in person. He physically mm-hmm. existed. He does saw exist, him. Yeah. yeah, he it was during Countdown to Green, right when they're about to interview Kevin Harvick. Did he you know walking. anyone that had AOL? Um, I had AOL for a hot minute because it was like so you're early the only on. person I've ever met that had, had a that had AOL. Like it was like early, early 2000s. Like it wasn't even during this time. I think at this time we were on Roadrunner. Roadrunner was our, Roadrunner. our thing. With Time oh Warner cable, God. I think. Yeah. Because wow. we're still Time Warner here. Mm. Uh, yeah. There was a very cringe 9 11 reference that Bill Weber made when he was picking Casey Kane as his pick to win. Not Probably is what jinxed Casey. Not great, it was though. terrible. Bill Weber, you, you're, you're the curse that Casey Kane needed to cleanse himself of for 2005. In my opinion, it's Casey Kane because if you take his car number and his starting spot, you get. 9-11. Um, Jimmy Johnson's team had a really great benefit on, on his car for the 48 team. Uh, unfortunately, it all ended on lap 180 in that crash. It was a benefit for hurricane victims. And, you know, I always like these initiatives that Lowe's puts up. And during that time, I remember that uh, the hurricane that, that came through the week before, I believe it was Francis. I don't know if it was Charlie. Um, it might've been Charlie. And then Francis came up that same week. and was like the second storm, but, um, I was trying to watch the Fontana race and I remember like our power went out and it was like, it was all right. No, no race tonight. So missed that one. And it was just cause the hurricane, well, they had a benefit where they would run a specific amount of laps and there would be proceeds from that. And there was also proceeds from the same benefit during the Xfinity race. So they raised a lot of money with those benefits normally because Jimmy was really good and consistent. But unfortunately, this night he got taken out, and that was kind of a bummer. So, oh well, still all for a good cause. And I think really what I learned here, this is all in all, this is a solid Richmond race. So we had like short runs, we had long green flag run at the end, and we had two grooves all night. Great racing side by side, and 
different strategies. We had weird guys in the top 10. Like this was an awesome race. This is everything NASCAR could have hoped for in the first cutoff race for the inaugural chase for the cup. You couldn't have scripted it better. A guy winning and getting into the chase and having all these other things play out. And we had some serious contenders miss out. We had Jamie McMurray miss out, Dale Jarrett. We didn't even talk about it. Dale Jarrett was like murderer's row in this race. He was just running people over. Like he was, he just, he was like, I got to get to the front. And fortunately it didn't work. At least we got front. I think he ended up getting wrecked out in that mm-hmm. pileup. Yeah. And yeah, just, it was, I don't know. It was an awesome race. Like it really was. I, this is such a good race. Like go check this one out. It's a great race to watch. It goes by really quickly. I found when I was watching it, which is weird. Like, like, it's oh, like it's lean, green 300 flag already. Run. Jesus, you know, like, <laughs> it's so, like green flag run, man. Just, yeah, it's, it's awesome. It, it's everything they could hope for. And it really, this first year of the chase, just, if you were like, well, oh, I want to go back to the full season. I don't know, man, you got a, you got an eight point difference at the end of the, the year. And the 10 races were just absolute bangers, all of them. And like to cut, have the championship come down to the wire like that. And all those guys separated by such a small margin, like, 2004 was such an amazing season and yeah like this was it was a great race like that's really what i learned is that like yeah we were we were skeptical of this chase format and then realized that it was awesome pretty much right away and to me i think it's the perfect point system i thought it was great it was now it's been manipulated it's all jubbled but it was win 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 and you're in it's 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 definitely different from what it was but it was it was kind of fresh it was different but as a Jeff Gordon fan, it's like, man, what could have been if them full seasons were there? Would have won some championships, but we won like oh, seven well. championships or whatever. Yeah. So either way, we would like to first thank everyone for listening. It was a really good podcast to to dive into that topic. Second, we got to thank Brent for his time. It was really good to hear from him and and hear someone who was there that day and their perspective is really cool perspective. Finally, we've got to thank our partners at Blue Emu for providing us with maximum strength relief for our tired muscles and joints. And they can offer that relief to you. Go get yourself some blue emu. It's available online and go find it on Amazon, put it in your cart, get it sent to you, go to your store, you know, like your little drug store, your grocery store, wherever, get yourself some maximum strength relief from blue emu. Mark, it's a, always a great supporter partner of ours. We always like to remind people to work that into your regimen of recovery and to recover. Always recover. Take, take care of take, your body. Take, take a break every now and then. It's okay. Yeah. When you can't take a break and need a little extra, reach for your Blue Emu and try their new microphone product. It's fantastic. And uh, yeah, check them out on social. They do all kinds of cool stuff on social. Every week you can vote for not only the maximum strength move of the race, but also which driver you think should get a care package from Blue Emu that needs maximum relief. So yeah, just, just tell them. That they right. just send it if, if 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 you have a good suggestion. Yeah. Any at, driver. At Blue Emu One, you can suggest anyone you want. So exactly. Yeah. Good good podcast, James. We don't say that enough. I had a lot of fun talking with this Richmond race. And you know, this is just fun, man. It's fun to just bro out and talk about races and, and it's cool that people listen. Thank you for listening to our nerdiness. Yes. And I hope you enjoyed this podcast. And tune in next time. And as always, be safe out there. Until then, bye-bye.